The Buddhism and Breath Summit took place online in 2021. A group of researchers exploring Buddhist practices of working with the breath or the winds of the body gathered for this event that was co-hosted by me, Francis Garrett, and Pierce Salguero. It was co-sponsored by the Robert H. N. Ho Family Foundation Center for Buddhist Studies at the University of Toronto and jivaka.net. The following talk is entitled, Of the Last and Lasting Breath, Two Accounts of Mindfulness in the Face of Death Sentence. And it's delivered by Napakadol Kitasini, who's a doctoral candidate with extensive fieldwork experience at Buddhist sites in India and in the greater Mekong subregion, as well as a long engagement with peace movements in post-genocidal Cambodia. You can watch the video of this talk and find other resources from the Buddhism and Breath Summit at jivaka.net. That's J-I-V-A-K-A, jivaka.net, N-E-T. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for opportunity for me to share on the topic of the last and lasting breath to accounts of mindfulness in the face of that sentence. So today I will be sharing about three different parts. The first one is about Buddhist perspectives on mindfulness in the prison. The second part, I will be sharing about the story of a Thai prisoner who's facing death sentence. So it's a, it will discuss on a journey to his last breath. And the last part, I will be drawing upon an account of a Cambodian peace woman on her lasting breath inspires her journey. So the first part, let's talk about the mindfulness in the prison from Buddhist perspective. The earliest account I could think about in Buddhist perspective regarding imprisonment and mindfulness it's about the story of the King Bimbisara, the King of Magadha Kingdom, now in Rajkir in Bihar of India, who was jailed by his own son, which is the later king, King Ajatasatru. So from this picture I took in 2017, this is the, of the site of Bimisara's prison. So from this very location, it allowed him to see the vulture's peak, where on top of it, located the residence of the Buddha, or Mulakandakudi. What kept him alive in the prison is the way he meditate on the presence or the sight of the Buddha. That's what kept him alive. So this is the first story that inspired me to this topic. The second one in 2007 is a film, uh, The Dharma Brothers, which discuss on the introduction of mindfulness training into a prison in the deep south of the, U of the US. And especially this piece 
um, the material from the writing of Thich Han, a revered uh, Vietnamese Zen monk. Uh, he talked about a protagonist in the famous novel of Albert Camus, Le Trongcher, or The Stranger. This is his writing, part of his writing. Albert Camus, in his novel, The Stranger, used the term, the moment of awareness. When the protagonist of his novel, Verso, learns he's going to be executed for the murder he's committed, anxiety, fear, and anger are born in him. In despair, he's lying on his prison bed, looking at the ceiling, when the first time he sees the square of blue sky through the skylight. The sky is so blue, it's the first time in his life that he's gotten deeply in touch with the blue sky. He's already lived for decades without ever really seeing the blue sky. Perhaps he's looked at the sky from time to time but he's not seen it in a deep way. Now, three days before his death, he's able to touch the blue sky in a very deep way. The moment of awareness has manifested. Musso decides to live every minute. He's left fully and deeply. Here is the prisoner who is practicing deep meditation. He lives his last three days in his cell within the square of blue sky. That's his freedom. On the afternoon of the last day, a Catholic priest comes to Mercer's prison cell to give him the last rites. But Mercer refuses. He doesn't want to waste the few hours he's left talking to the priest. And he doesn't let him come in. He says, the priest is living like a dead man. He is not living like me. I'm truly alive. So this writing is from a writing called Becoming Truly Alive by Dignan, published in 2009. So that's um, the last material that I mentioned as a source of inspiration for this topic. That's all the accounts from Buddhist perspective that I could think about. Now, the second part, I will be sharing about an account of a Buddhist chaplaincy. So this is an account of a Buddhist chaplaincy in the prison by Ajahn Pasanno from the Fearless Mountain Monastery in California in Ajahn Chah tradition and by Ajahn Pasanno for Chaturon J. Siripong, who was convicted in 1983 murder. On the final days of his death, Jay was guided with a mindfulness practice centered on breath. So here the accounts that I tease out some parts of this account. When I saw Jay, it wasn't like others I have been with who are approaching their deaths 
Jay was young and healthy, in control of his faculties. He's sharp, intelligent, and talented. It was clear he had lived the last year of his, his life skillfully. Although he was waist chained, he remained dignified. He was gracious and hugged his visitors. The whole situation took on a surreal quality. Everything appeared normal, but at midnight on Monday, this human being would die. He would be executed. Here's another, another part of this account. Since Jay was a visual artist, I realized he could use the vision of light as an anchor at the moment of his death. I led him in guided meditations, centering on the breath and light. Since his breath would only be there until the, intake, until the injection to effect. I told Jay there would come a time to let the breath go and focus instead on the image of light. And here's the um, final reflection moment of Jay, as recorded by Ajahn Pasan No. And the highlight is Ajahn Pasan No's highlight. In terms of letting go and relinquishment, we talk about forgiveness in the context of not-self. If we haven't forgot forgiven, we keep creating an identity around our pain, and that is what is reborn. That's what suffers. I asked Jay, is there anybody you haven't, you haven't forgot, forgiven yet? I mean the system, his parents, others. Jay thought about it. I haven't forgiven myself completely. He said softly at last. It was touching. So after this moment and after execution, it was recorded that he, um, his appearance, his body appearance looks so peaceful after this, you know, um, long period of transformation and preparation to his last breath. Now, we move into the story from Cambodia, from this um, Buddhist uh, woman. woman. Um, she is my, also my spiritual mentor, Udom Van Siwon, who passed away um, three years ago. Um, she is the prime mover of the Dhammayitra, or the Peace Walk, in the auspice of Mahakusananda, the peace monk of Cambodia. So, and here is her story. Here's the story of Sivon. Sivon not only experienced the tragedy during the Cambodian genocide between 1975 to 79, 
she formally witnessed the atrocities by the U.S. bombing in the rural part of Cambodia, as she's originally from Simria province in northwestern Cambodia, but intensively during her teen in 1975-79, Siwon witnessed and experienced the atrocities of genocide in her home country, Cambodia, while she was taken to several camps in northwestern part of Cambodia, separated by her mom and her brother. And, you know, hadn't heard of their news yet, while she was desperately expecting death after seeing her fellow inmates went missing one by one. Now she was locked up in a vihara of a temple which turned into a prison in northwestern Cambodia. She realized the meaning of breath. Here's the story that she shared with me. So one day she was too starving you know, because she was given a tiny part, a tiny portion of food, which is basically boy rice, um, a meal a day. That's not, of course, that's not enough to to keep her life, to keep her life. Then she kept thinking and focusing on her mind, on all the or the delicious food she ever experienced and tasted before the Camaro's time. One of them, for example, bread and milk. So she, she, she kept concentrating on those items until she didn't even realize by concentrating on those food, her mind became peaceful. Her mind became concentrated. That is the smarty, because her mind um, now have concentration on the moment while she's suffering from imprisonment. Then she went on. After her mind stay calm from thinking too much about food and then focusing on, um, particularly on certain items of food that she's um, satisfied with. She became calm and focusing on her breath in and out, in breath and out breath, until she has reached a deeper level of concentration. Now, a vision appeared in her. So she saw her full body in its own term, in its real term. It means she sees different parts of the organs, especially the final part that she always shared with me. It's about the vision that led her get deeper into her heart. So, so she got deeper and deeper into her heart and seeing all the feeling, that's all the thoughts, all the evil thoughts, all the anxiety that's hidden into her hearts. And she see hearts as an organ. To that point, 
she said, this is something that kept her alive because it's amazed her. It's distracted her suffering to concentrate, to focus profoundly on her inner life and teaching her, you know, the valuable lessons, even amidst suffering, even amidst the time of suffering. And she kept that with her for long years after her, she survived the genocide. Until until 1992, when she ran into Mahakosananda on the way that he led the peace march of Cambodian, you know, hundreds of Cambodian refugees, both monks and lay people, walking across Thai border from the refugee camp from that side, bringing back um, the Cambodian refugees back to their home country after 20 years of exile and passing by um, the route, which is then her house in Swai Sisupon in Northwestern Cambodia. So she ran into him and she was amazed by his presence. Um, then she joined his walk and keep asking so many questions and so on. But one day that I would like to share with you is that one day Mahakosananda talked with her and she shared with him the stories. Um, she just want to make sure what's about the experience of her seeing her own body, you know, especially um, digging deeper into her heart, seeing her feeling, her anxiety, her distress her stress and, and all the negative thoughts in it. Then at the moment she shared this story with Mahakusananda, the master turned to her and asking, where did you learn meditation? She replied, no, I didn't even know what it was. When this thing happened in me during my life in imprisonment under the Khmer Rouge regime. And what he said, that's the meditation, that's the practice of vipassana and the cultivation of mindfulness that encourage you to see the body as the way it really is. So this is the confirmation by her spiritual mentor that she learned from the nature of suffering, you know, her lessons of mindfulness that arises out of her own despair and suffering. So over the years, finally, since 1999 to 2000, she inherited the walk after Mahakosananda, and she, she always leading the walk to um, 2018 before she, she passed away. So here's the, um, the conversation 
um, on the year that on the year before she passed away. So I was helping her with the translation at that point. So an American student asked her, what keeps you alive after the years of trauma? So Siwon said, in and out breath, the breath doesn't offer us peace, but does guide us the path towards peace and the real meaning of life. And here is the final thought of the two cases of imprisoned life in the face of death sentence. So learning from Jay, his moments of last breath unfolded the transformation of his mind and the insight of his personhood. Meanwhile, for Sivon, her last breath usually remind her the meaning of life and the importance of mindfulness as an integral part of her existence. Thank you.